0: Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 8th of January, 2023, Nahum and Unbelief. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. We we intersect the life of Jesus Christ as he's involved in his public ministry. And in our passage today, he is returning back to his hometown, not of Bethlehem, but Nazareth, where he grew up. And we come to an incident in the life of Christ that was a turning point for the town. I want to talk about the subject of belief and unbelief. You gotta remember the setting now. Jesus was coming back to his hometown, the town of Nazareth, and it was time for them to meet at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he was with the home folks. The people in this audience were people that he knew. Some of them he had gone to be trained by the same rabbi in in this very context. They knew his family, they knew his brothers and sister, they knew him. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the covering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And you need a little bit of instruction here as to what's going on. He was, he was presented with a scroll. Could have been any other scroll, but this was the one that was given. So by divine appointment, I believe, that he was given this scroll. But he then he turned, unrolling the scroll, till he got to this place. And the place, uh, by cross-reference to us, is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And he begins to read, and he reads the passage that I just read for you. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now normally what would happen was the person would read, and then as he completed his reading, as it was said, he could handle the scroll back, you would sit down in the seat of instruction. And at that point, people would turn to you to listen to what you you had to say, what your commentary was on the passage. Scripture says in verse 20, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, there was two reasons for that. First of all, he had just read, and so it was time for him to speak. But more to the point, they knew something that a lot of times we don't pick up on, and so I'm going to point it out to you. He stopped in mid-passage, and they all knew it. They'd been trained by the same rabbi. They'd been trained in the synagogue. They knew this text. This was a familiar passage. It would be like quoting John 3.16 and saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, and you go, what? Complete the thing. It goes on from there. He said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the passage goes on and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. But he stopped. He didn't read that. So they're all going, why did he stop? I mean, when you go to read scripture, you just read a connected section and they all knew what it was and he should have completed it. Why in the world did he stop? Scripture says that this was his response to their questioning in their hearts and minds. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture today has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you go, Wait a minute. We just moved from scripture reading to making a proclamation. It's one thing to say, "Now this is what the text means." It is talking about, you know, God sending a messenger who's going to pull these things together, and this is what's going to happen. Uh, Lord's going to have an anointed one, and He's going to bring uh, God's grace and power is going to be upon him, and He's going to bring good news to the poor, and they can see, ah, oh, this is probably a good messianic text, and. You can see how this is going to be fulfilled and he doesn't say any of that what does he say today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing what Jesus had just repl- had just proclaimed to them that he was the fulfillment of this passage that he just read and they all go what proclaim good news to the poor has sent me me to proclaim liberty to the captives the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor now we got a whole you know now we need to review this passage that you just read because now you're talking about application as it applies to Jesus Christ as he's speaking in front of them he's not just reading scripture we're having a scripture reading now you know the pastor will pray and then you know. no now what he's saying is What I just read to you is about me. The Spirit of God is upon me. And I'm here to tell you, I am here to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, now. Right here, in your midst, this is me, and I'm saying this to you about me. Now, Jesus had been busy ministering all around in the area of Galilee. Nazareth is a town in the northern part of Israel. In the northern part, and then the central part would be where the Samaritans were, and then lower part down in Judah, around where um, Bethlehem and Jerusalem and those those uh, towns were. But this is in the northern part of of the, of the nation. Back in his town of Nazareth, and they go, "Huh, that was something." And he's been he's been doing miracles. We've heard about it, you know. It's almost like is he going to come down and is he going to bring all these miracles so that we can see too? But they have a question, and he says, all spoke well of him and marvel at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Oh, isn't it wonderful? He's speaking out of the book of Isaiah. Isn't he a great reader? Isn't it wonderful for him to proclaim this stuff? And then he says, And is this not Joseph's son? In other words, they're pretty enamored. Man, he did a good job on the reading, didn't he? You know, here's our favorite son who's been traveling around and didn't he do a good job? Yeah, and they're all going, that was was a good job. Yeah, man, he's been well-trained and he lives well here in the town. Jesus wasn't done, though. And he said, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did in Capernaum Do here in your hometown as well. In other words, if I can be a little crass here, bring your show here too. You've got this traveling show that you're going around doing miracles. We've heard story, people being healed and everything. And you come home, you know, the homeboy comes home and he's going to do these things. And this is going to be so good. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And now everything, turn, everything turns. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. A few moments before, oh, our favorite son has come home, and man, he's doing a great job, isn't he? And now he says, you know, there's a lot of people who lived in this part of the country back in the time of Elijah and Elisha, where did they minister? They ministered in the Northern Kingdom. Where was the Northern Kingdom? Around the area where Nazareth is. And he says, there were lots of widows who were hungry during the time of famine, but Elijah only went to someone outside the country. And then there was lots of lepers, that could have been, should have been healed, but there was only one healed, and that was a Syrian who came down and was healed. And they, now, in hearing this, they moved from, hey, well done, good son of the town, to, did you hear what he just said? So I want to take you back, to the account in Kings to Naaman, the one that we read about earlier in the passage, so that you can get the backstory here and and understand what was going on. Back in, in 2 Kings, in chapter 5, it said Naaman Commander of the army of the King of Syria was a great man of master and high favor, but he had leprosy. And then something happened. He says, "Now the Syrians had on one of their raids had carried a little girl off from the land of Israel, and she worked the servants of, in Naaman's wife. And the little girl said to her mistress, Would that my lord, or with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. He would cure him of his leprosy. And I like, while the story is principally about Naaman, the whole story of Naaman is predicated upon the faithfulness of this little girl who you normally would have expected at the very least to keep her mouth shut, much less give a pointer to Naaman on how to be healed. Let's think about this girl for a moment. says she was a, a young girl. She was in a foreign country, taken there having been snatched away from her family taken to a foreign country and now put to work for her master's wife how would we normally expect her to respond you would expect her to be full of anger and bitterness? I mean, my family? Lonesome? Heartbroken for home? What kind of service would she do? Only the minimal? To get by because she wants to survive, but that's about it? But what do we read? Just the opposite. what does she say when she sees Naaman with leprosy? Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. I give you the first lesson that I see from here. Belief in God is demonstrated in our positive responses to revelation. This young girl did not pull this out of her hat. It wasn't like, oh, you know, there's prophets and he can probably, no, she knew something about the living God. And she took it with her to a foreign land. And she overcame the bitterness that was that could have been in her heart. In fact, so much so that we read in the New Testament how are you supposed to treat an enemy? You're supposed to love your enemy. She was doing it. Her belief in God was not localized depending on good circumstances. Her belief and trust in God and seeing God's handiwork in her life moved her to a positive response to the revelation of what she knew about her God. And she sees Naaman and she goes, man, there's a guy who needs to be healed. We were told in the text that he was a great man and highly favored. But we see this young girl who steps up and said, Oh, man, just think how good it would be for him to be healed. So word comes from the wife to the husband. Husband, now Naaman goes, Hey, I've got to find this prophet. This gal said something which brings to mind, why would he listen to a slave? Shows you how desperate he was, how much, how needy he felt. But maybe also by how she had lived in the house and it impressed him. well, you can make up your mind about that. So Naaman went to the king and said, you got to get me an inn with the king of Israel and uh, I need to get healed. And so the king of Syria said, "Uh, okay, and I'm going to send you along with a letter to the king of Israel. And they sent along some gifts as you can read. And they said, when this letter reaches you, I've sent Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) Well, the king wasn't able to do that. In fact, did you notice in this passage that it doesn't ever mention the name of the king of Israel? So I had to backtrack in scripture a couple passages to chapters to see is there a mention of the king of israel and who is this and and uh why isn't he mentioned and you go all the way back to uh chapter three and it says in the year uh 18th year of jehoshaphat king of judah Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned for 12 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother. Who is his father? Ahab. Who is his mother? Jezebel. (laughs) What a heritage. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, The son Naboth, which he made Israel to sin, he didn't depart from it. So then, uh, there's a king of Moab and Jehoshaphat, and now this king go to battle. And and before they're going to go to battle, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who is a God-fearing man, says, Is there a, a prophet around here we could check with? And without going into the story in too great detail, in verse 13, it says, Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? He says, you don't have anything to do with God, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Go to your prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. And then Elisha basically says, I will only talk to Jehoshaphat because he's a godly man. And it's not on the basis of you, king of Israel, and he doesn't even call him by name. It's not because of you, it's because of Jehoshaphat that I'm going to tell you that God has said you're going to have victory. But I want you to know you had no part in this. <laughs> so when Nahum shows up at the king of of Israel and says, cure me, we know what what kind of resources the king has, which is zip. And he didn't call for Elisha even. He says in verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, we're going to show him the truth. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood in the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash into Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Okay? Okay. Haman's principal mission. What was it? Come on now. You wanted to get healed, right? And I, I want to be healed of leprosy. Why did I come to Israel to get healed of leprosy? He shows up at the house. He goes, "Okay, I'm here now." Was and Elijah sends a messenger. And says, "I right, just go down here, River Jordan, and." Dip seven times and and you'll be healed. Look what the passage said, and this is why I stopped at verse 10 in our reading, because verse 11 starts getting spicy. Nahum was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He had envisioned this whole idea of how this was to play out. What did Elijah do? Elijah stayed in the house and sent out a messenger. Don't you realize who I am? I am the chief man of the king of Syria. I am the mighty man, and I came with all my horses and chariots and I'm outside and I expect you to come and approach me as a as a person of and he goes hey why don't you go out and tell him what he needs to do I'll write out a prescription and give it to him and Nahum who was upset then he goes on from there and he says isn't there Albana and and far par rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in rage. Hmm. He says, first of all, I had expectations. My expectations were that I would get a warm, regal welcome. There would be a ceremony. God would be called down from heaven and I would be healed. And he wants me to go now to Jordan. He says, we got pure streams up in our, in our neck of the woods in Syria. Thankfully for Nahum, his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? In other words, the cal- calmers' heart and mind of, of the servant said, uh, beg your pardon? Didn't, didn't you come here to get clean? Didn't he tell you how to do that? I know you had expectations, but... So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean we come to the second lesson. Belief can be derailed by our previous conditioning and or assumptions. Naaman almost returned home a leper. Why? Because he had a vision of how this should all play out. And then he had a vision of cleaner streams up in Syria. And these things got in the way of the principal thing was to believe what the messenger said and get healed. Belief can be derailed by previous conditioning or assumptions. Naaman assumed his healing would happen a certain way. He said, Don, oh, this is the way it's going to play out. And when it didn't play out that way, he almost missed out. What are some of the assumptions that people might, might have that would get in the way of belief? Well, I'm a good person. I don't really need to get saved. Or, I've heard the opposite. I am such a rotten sinner, God would never be able to save me. But they weren't the only ones that had assumptions. We were reading in Luke chapter four when Jesus came to town and they go, oh, we know who he is. He is the son of Joseph. <laughs> We've, We've interacted with this family lots of times. We've gone out on picnics with them. We've got And now he's coming and declaring that he is a messenger from God and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he is the one who is there to bring peace and healing and liberty and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Nazareth's citizens were conditioned to see the Lord as the son of Joseph, period. Not as the son of God. Not as the divinely appointed one. I was thinking about this. It says they probably envisioned Messiah as some sort of conqueror. didn't know where he came from. His background, but what they sort of have a picture in their mind of what he would be like. And it certainly wasn't a neighborhood kid. What needed to happen? They needed to overcome their conditioning and their assumptions, they needed to set them aside and take by faith. The truth that had been revealed what was their response back in, in Luke chapter 5 and it says and when there were lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha none of them were cleansed but only Nahum the Syrian what did Jesus say there was a whole group of people living right where you're living that never came to the prophet elijah or the prophet elisha and responded to their message of repentance and following god and here i am today and guess what you don't receive me because i'm coming to my hometown and you see me as not worthy to be believed When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Did you catch that? All these people who said, Oh, we've grown up with him, he's our favorite son. Now are saying, Oh yeah? You think you can say that to us? And I I flashed in my mind to Joseph when he when he stood up after a, a vision from God and he gave the interpretation to his his kids and his brothers, and to his dad and said, you know, one of these days you're going to bow down and and you're going to worship me. And even dad goes, are you kidding? Who do you think you are? Why? Joseph is just one of us. Why are we going to be worshiping you? Their conditioning and their assumptions got in the way and derailed their belief. What derails our belief. Listen to what it says. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill in which their town was built, so they had thrown him down a cliff. Just to the south of the town of Nazareth, built on a plateau there's a cliff that's a couple hundred yards down to the base of the cliff. Throwing somebody off that would certainly do them in. And they were about to do that, but he passed through their midst and he went away. The parallel passages in in Matthew and Mark tell a story here. He says, they took offense at him in Matthew 13. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. His own family didn't buy into this either. And he says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark records something similar. Jesus said to them, prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives in his own household and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them he marveled because of their unbelief and went about among the villages teaching they completely derailed belief because of their Conditioning and assumptions. My weekly scripture reading that came to a portion that is familiar to us is found back in Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We call the section the Beatitudes. And I couldn't help but think of that little girl in a foreign land, living out the truths of God being in her life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all All kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you. Why wasn't Jesus able to do more miracles in their midst? We come to the final lesson unbelief hampers further life-changing revelation if they couldn't set aside their preconditioned ideas about who Jesus Christ and come like his disciples did to worship him to recognize him as lord Jesus and no grounds to do further miracles why the miracles were to authenticate who he was and to verify and to strengthen his his position in their hearts and minds. but they didn't want any of that so he didn't do any more Wow what a condemnation of Jesus Christ to his own community there in Nazareth. Did it mean that there wasn't anyone that saw him for who he really was, the son of God, the, the one that with God's hand was on, the spirit of the Lord was upon him? No, there were some. He said there was a few that got healed. But the vast majority didn't. I couldn't help escape that overlay with them that this guy came to to the northern tribes, the kingdom of Israel and came to the prophet and got healed. Jesus said a lot of lepers at the same time, living in Israel, never got healed. They got their toes stepped on pretty good, didn't they? And I want to read one more verse. And is found in that same passage in 2nd Kings after he got clean what did Naaman do he returned to the man of God he and all of his company and he came and stood before him and he said behold I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel so accept now this present from your servant. And the, and Elisha says, no, I don't want your stuff. He says, I know that there is only one God. And he is the God in Israel. In fact, if we went back, I said I'm only going to do one verse. I'm going to do another one. Because... When he came back and he and he said, would you take these presents? And, and Elisha said, no, I won't receive any. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Listen to what Naaman did. He said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings of sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Was there a transformation in Naaman's life? Absolutely. He says, In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow down in the house, the Lord pardon your servant in this manner. And he said... Go in peace. Did you hear what Nehemiah said? I want two donkey full of ground from Israel so that when I go back home, I can spread it out and that'll be my little piece of place where I can call on my God. But because I am the captain of the king, when he goes into worship, I have to go with him. Lord, please forgive me for what I'm about to do. I'm going to go and assist the king, but my heart's not in it. My heart is given to you, Lord. May our hearts be in it for the Lord. May we not let any previous conditioning or assumptions get in the way of our faith. Anything that we think, I don't know, that doesn't make any sense to me. But we know what has been revealed to us and is true. And we go, that I will respond to. We don't have any story further than what we have read about that young girl. I'm looking forward to meeting her in heaven. She got it right. She was trained right, and she lived right. May we be trained by the bird and live right too. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We believe, so help us live, Heavenly Father. Remove all obstacles. They impair belief. Any false notions, assumptions, presuppositions. May they be removed. And we go with the truth that's revealed in your word. And live accordingly. May we be not like the people of Nazareth that day who couldn't see past their experiences to see deliverance at their doorstep. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.